I've been thinking about the things you, some of you have been talking about with us and questions last night. And I think it's important to recognize where unwholesome mental states actually are and, and that they are unwholesome and most of all that we can abandon them. And I think sometimes we don't realize or believe that we can abandon them. And I really want you to reflect on what it is for you. I mean, fear, anger, anxiety, worry, doubt. Grief, sorrow, sadness, regret, jealousy, longing, lust, the whole list, whatever whatever you find coming up for you again and again, really look at it. And you know we we need to investigated in a way that we uncover how we might be feeding it. Because if it keeps coming back, there's something we're doing to encourage it. And we may think that that's not the case. We may feel like it just assails us. You know, Voiced itself on us, or somehow our karma is very strong that it just keeps happening. And of course, some of that is true. It, it's true that we've got conditions in the past, a lot of them that we can't even, you know, we can't take responsibility for. Maybe it's something in a past life or many lives. Or maybe there's some kind of physical, chemical, um, something. But the reality is when we get down to it, we also feed these states. Even when we just make them important, even when we just follow the initial thought even a little bit, even for a second. We're reinforcing the habit for this thing to arise and invade the mind and hang around and come back again and again and again. So the important thing is to recognize, to to really take in the fact that you can master this in a way that it can dissipate and either completely disappear from your patterns or you come to a place where it just doesn't matter. You, It's there and it doesn't affect you. And it takes effort. 
it takes diligence, it takes consistency to some degree, but sometimes these long-standing patterns can dissolve quicker than you might imagine. So there's a a discourse in the uh, middle-length discourses that we looked at uh, in our most recent sutta study, and it was very interesting to me to, you know, after reading the same thing, you know, several times, I'm I'm sure, to, to see, like, oh, the Buddha is talking about the cause and effect relationship that's happening, that happens in a pattern in our own minds that we can interrupt. We have this uh, opportunity. We have more choice when this is coming, when this is happening in our mind than we think. The first time I got the sense of this was probably around the year 2000 when I was visiting Wapananda Chad and Ajahn Jai and Sara was talking to the monks. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. It had a huge impact on me. Um, Because I was staying in the monastery, I was able to go to these meetings where the resident community would come together. And apparently, a couple of monks had gotten into some kind of argument or something. There was anger. And some not very nice words, apparently, because Ajahn Jayasara talked about that. But he said, when there's when anger comes up, we think it just takes over us. You know, we. But he said, actually, it's volitional. Actually, we have a choice. There's a moment there somewhere where we decide to go with it. And that was new information for me. I never thought of anger that way. And then you start looking like, where do I have in this in this process that seems to go so quickly? The anger arising, where do I have the opportunity to make a choice? And Ajahn Jayasara used this image of a wedge. He said you have to put this wedge of awareness there between the trigger, like whatever that other person says, and the arising of this anger. And then when we start to recognize, hey, I have choices. Let's say anxiety is arising, or fear is arising. Where do I have a choice? to interrupt that process that I can say no, say no to this. And I can change the direction. And so, you know, there's, there's, with anger, sometimes you can feel it in your body before you realize it in your mind. You get to learn to to recognize the signs. And sometimes I've also told this story. It's like when I was a, a child, 
I remember, like, and maybe I was around five or six years old, I don't know how young, but um, my mom did not like the idea if, if you're sick to your stomach, you should get to the toilet and throw up in the toilet and not, like, anywhere else because it's messy. <laughs> and it's not okay to have a, a bowl or a pan because it splashes too much. Okay, she was a little, okay, never mind. <laughs> the point is, it was helpful to me because I thought, okay, I've got to figure out how to tell when I'm going to throw up. So I started to notice what happens before you throw up. Okay, the way the stomach feels, the saliva coming in the mouth, that's a really good cue. By that time, I better head for the bathroom. This sounds horrible, probably, but actually it's very instructive. And we, can, we can begin to learn how, how to see it coming, you know, this, this unhealthy, unwholesome, debilitating, downpulling mental state that actually robs us of peace and happiness. And because we don't see it coming, then we maybe don't even believe that we can stop it, or maybe we believe we shouldn't try to stop it, or maybe we believe that somehow it's valuable, or maybe we think this is just who I am, or maybe we think, um, or maybe we don't even realize that somehow we like it, whatever it is, makes us feel strong or powerful or it's familiar, or whatever the whatever the kind of um, makeup of this scenario is for you, I want you to discover it, and I want you to first and foremost recognize that it's not helping. The Buddha prized peace above everything else. So, you know, if someone wants to look at pornographic material because they want to feel lust. They don't understand how damaging that is to themselves and also how possibly damaging that will be to other people that they encounter. They have a vivid example of this in, this, in what uh, someone has talked to me about in the past. And it's just so sad. It starts with unrestrained interest in having those feelings. Why? Why? Because we don't realize that peace is better, and that kindness is better. And, and so this is, this is going to be the case with whatever the pattern is that we have. For me, I think I mentioned it already, maybe I know I did in one of the small group discussions, it was regret. Like I'd feel, you know, like these thoughts would pop into my mind from the past, oh, yeah, I did that, it's, that, was, that wasn't good, or a stupid thing I said, or whatever. And, 
this kind of thing would just come up again and again and again, unbidden, unwanted, there's a cringe. But I didn't know how to get rid of it. You know, it just and then to to finally realize this is a habit that every time it comes up and I cringe, I'm I'm reinforcing that habit. And so whatever it is, when it's arising, if we give it any airtime at all, if we give it any validity at all, if we have if we are increasing and ensuring the likelihood that that's going to come up again. So to start to see this is an unproductive kind of regret that I can actually say no to. That you know, the Buddha said, we really, if we if we notice, if we see that this isn't helpful, and then we are willing to reject it, sometimes that's enough for it to stop coming back. And that's what happened. You know, when, when that would come up and I would go, no, this is, this is unproductive, this is um, a stain on the mind. And the Buddha says this, you know, if you, if, if you realize this is a stain on the mind, and, and you reject it, then it, it comes up less often, it starts to fade away, it loses its strength, and, and then, oh my gosh, it's not happening anymore. It's amazing. Sometimes we have to use other techniques, but first and foremost, looking at Am I in any way feeding this thing? In any way? Now we can also feed things, feed something through um, aversion towards it. Right? That could be the, the way we're feeding it. We can, we can feed it by kind of coddling it. Making it a thing. I'm an anxious person, let's say, or I'm a, a fearful person. You know, like, no, don't take on these characteristics. Don't take that on as an identity. When we're identifying with something, we're feeding it. Can we see where the thoughts are perpetuating this experience. So this sutta I was mentioning is called um, the honey ball or the honey cake. And it was, um, I'm just, there's like two paragraphs here that I want to share with you. It starts with the Buddha saying, a person is beset by, con- so let me tell you a bit of the background story first. This this guy named is it Dandapani? Right? You remember Dandapani? Mm-hmm. Is that the guy? Mm-hmm. 
his name means um, like a, has a, a walking stick. So this very arrogant dude with his walking stick, we say gold handled, and he's like, you know, when he comes to the Buddha and he says, "Well, what do you teach?" You, you know, and he, he wants to start an argument. You know, he wants to like debate with him. He wants to poke him. And the Buddha says, so what do you teach, ascetic? You know, the Buddha says, I teach something that has no conflict and creates no argument with other people. And um, um, yeah, I don't have that part of it here. But he's like, I can't remember the rest of it, but anyhow, this guy is, is like, Ugh. it says he wags his tongue and he rolls his eyes and he walks away because he's, you know, like put out with this ascetic who's like not going to play with him. Um, and, and just like, you know, there's, uh, I think he talks in that about the identity creating an identity around things. So basically, he's telling this person, you know, this arrogance, this is, you know, I'm not going to engage with this, okay? So then later, the Buddha is telling the monks, a person is beset by concepts of identity that emerge from the proliferation of perception. And if they don't find anything worth approving, welcoming, or getting attached to, in the source from which these arise, just this is the end of the underlying tendencies to desire, repulsion, views, doubt, conceit, the desire to be reborn, and ignorance. So all of these things, these are kind of the reasons why we feed these mental states, and it's the result of feeding these mental states. Desire, repulsion, views, doubt, conceit, and the desire to be reborn in ignorance. So if if something arises in us and we identify with it, we give it airtime, we put attention on it, um, there's this proliferation that occurs and if we just let it be, if we don't find anything to engage in in there, then the underlying tendencies come to an end. And the Buddhist, this is the end of taking up the rod, the sword, this is the end of quarrels, arguments and disputes, of accusations, divisive speech, and lies. This is where these bad, unskillful qualities cease without anything left over. So, and then the, the mendicants, they didn't, they, they didn't understand fully what the Buddha was saying, and they went to... Um, I think it was Venerable Sariputta, and asked him about it. Or Mahakachana, one of those really intelligent dudes. 
always new. <laughs> and he says, if you think about what comes in through the senses, and you, a feeling arises with that, and then perception automatically happens along with feeling. But then you think about it, and then you proliferate about it. And what you proliferate about is the source from which a person is beset by these concepts of identity. This is how we identify with our mental states that emerge from that proliferation. This occurs with respect to thoughts known by the mind in the past, future, and present. So whatever it is that arises, maybe we're sad about something. Then you can say, well, is there something wrong with being sad about, you know, um, something unfortunate that happened in the past. Of course, it's natural. But the Buddha would say, this is suffering. This is dukkha. It's not like we should ever feel bad about what we're feeling. It's just that we also want to guide the mind to peace and happiness and train the mind to recognize these states as something we don't have to take on board, we don't have to engage in, we can feel these things detached. We don't have to be pulled into that experience. So when we look at these components, okay, we see, hear, smell, touch, taste, or think something, like that old regret, that memory. And then, instead of letting the, the thought proliferation to take hold, oh yeah, I did that, and the identification to happen, we stop it right there. Oh, yeah. That happened. So what? This is something um, this Mangajan Panyawada said once about guilt. He said, so what if I'm guilty? So what? You know, I mean, the wholesome approach is, okay, I learned from that. I'm not going to do that again. The unwholesome kind of treatment of that is, oh, I feel bad about that. It's so full of the self. So what can we do? First, notice, oh yeah, this is a repeated pattern in my mind. How am I feeding this? How am I making this a habit that will repeat again? How can I interrupt this and say no to it? or be present with the feeling in the body in a way that we can allow it to work its way through. 
So I think the, the main thing is we can, it's, it's to know that we can go on year after year after year with the same pattern, with the same um, debilitating, we don't even see it as debilitating. Maybe we even think it's useful or it's just how I am. But to really question that, how can your mind be free from this? suffering. And like I said, if there are other causes that are involved, you know, maybe there is some other influence that you can't directly control, it still doesn't have to overcome your mind. It still doesn't have to be an issue. It can be like, oh, there's that feeling. It's kind of like physical pain. You know, we can we can really have uh, a psychological explosion around physical pain, or we don't have to. We can say, okay, that's how the pain is, but I don't have to make more of it. I can focus on the, the times when there's no pain. I can recognize that pain is a natural part of human experience. There's different ways of being with it. in this hall when you're meditating and how diligent so many of you are in your practice and how much um, development you've obviously experienced over the long time you've been practicing or maybe even if it's a short time how very serious you are as practitioners. And I just want you to encourage you to take it take it further. You, you can do this. Um, and experience the relief. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.